well, when I first started coaching, I come off, I was making like 800000 at the end of my tenure with the Dodgers as a player, then coming in as a coach. Nowhere <laughs> close. They offered me $45,000. <laughs> no and I was like, I'm like, come on, Mr. Rosen. I said, man. Welcome like, to coaching, know, Dusty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I about. said, hey, man, the more money you pay me, the better work I do. He goes, nope, you got it all wrong, buddy boy. It's the first time he called me buddy boy. And, and he says, you got it all wrong. He says, the more work you do, then you might get paid. There's no doubt. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. I said, that sounds just like my dad. So You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Right back in your earbuds and broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. This is your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Our goal here at ABCA is to help educate and engage with coaches across every level of the game, strengthen baseball communities around the world, and ultimately do our part to help grow the game of baseball. Now, this podcast has created a platform for all of us to gather each and every week, connect for an hour or so, and share this coaching experience with each other. And we truly appreciate each and every one of you dialing into the show. Find us wherever podcasts are free. Hit subscribe on there. Be kind and leave us a review and a rating. Plus, share this podcast with anyone you feel like would appreciate these conversations. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Find us at ABCA1945. You can also head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about, also, please feel free to reach out to me direct at Coach Sheets 3 You can find me on Twitter and Instagram or shoot me an email over at Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. Huge thanks to our great friends and longtime ABCA partners over at Rawlings. We appreciate their support of our Calls to the Clubhouse podcast, and it's always great to have their leather laying around, see that red patch show up on the show graphics. We appreciate their help for the show. These guys have so much to offer coaches and players from their extensive line of new bats, including the new Quattro bat, or their batting helmets like the Mach EXT you've heard about on the show. From uniforms to apparel across all fronts, go check out their entire product line on their website, Rawlings.com. That's Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And we hope to see you join Team Rawlings today. Back into the professional ranks to connect with this week's guest. Another tremendous dynamic of our ABCA convention is that our show brings in the who's who around the baseball world. We are fortunate enough to welcome in this first-timer. Heard him speak in our diversity and baseball committee meeting. Made sure to grab him before I left so we could secure this interview. Dusty Baker. He brings 19 years of MLB playing experience, another 20 years as an MLB manager with over 1,800 wins to his credit, and we break it down. We dive into a myriad of topics on this one, following up on his thoughts on the diversity and inclusion issues we have inside our game, into his childhood, into his upbringing, his battles through minor and major league baseball, and we get into the various coaches and mentors that have made an impact on Dusty throughout his life. I got on multiple wristbands. I got my toothpick in place. It's only fitting that we welcome in MLB's Dusty Baker. He is our guest on this week's Dugout Chatter episode. So get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. 
Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We're heading back into the professional ranks to bring on this week's guest who has almost 40 years inside of professional baseball. You know him with wristbands. You know him with a toothpick in his mouth, but a guy that brings so much more value than just those things. We're going to dive into a number of different topics inside of his career, his life, and we're excited to welcome in former Major League Baseball player and manager, MLB's Dusty Baker. Dusty, thanks for jumping on the call with us. All right, no problem, man. I just uh, need to break from the office work anyway. <laughs> well, timing's everything, so we couldn't be more happy to get you on here. Um, let's start with this. We always talk about uh, the first question on our podcast about the ABCA. Certainly, we didn't expect you to uh, show up. Man, you showed up there in Dallas, and there you were uh, being part of our event, hanging out with you know over 6,500 other coaches. Can you just reflect on, looking back a couple weeks ago, what that experience was like, seeing that type of enthusiasm about the game of baseball and getting better as coaches? How'd that work for you? Well, you know, that was the first time I'd ever gone to that event, and right. uh, I was quite surprised, you know, at the number of coaches that were there. Yes. And, uh, um, and you know, from young coaches to older coaches that have been around for a long time, mm-hmm. I saw a couple coaches that I know from Sacramento that have been coaching for 50 odd years and uh, no longer 60 years, like Guy Anderson and some of those guys. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. and they said they had been going there, you know, for, you know, since its inception. Yeah. But I think that's great for, you know, for the coaches to get together, to, to trade uh, notes, trade, uh, trade secrets. Um, uh, also, I think it's great that, you know, uh, the young guys are there to take, you know, from the older guys, sure. you know, they're looking for, for, new and modern ways to, you know, to go about it, but they're, but, but basically when you're dealing with people, you know, there's only one way to deal, you know, with people to deal with the, and then try to be as honest and upfront, you know, as possible. But, so, uh, you know, I had a good time, you know, I, I, I had a real good time. And then, then, uh, also, you know, MLB, you know, had us, uh, mm-hmm. you know, put on like, uh, you know, minority coaches, you know, how you have these breakout rooms. Yeah. Stuff, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, there there are a bunch of guys that I uh, knew there. You yeah. know, from the predominantly black coaches that try to figure out how to how to get uh, scholarships. How, you know, how to get guys into college. How to get guys, you know, into possible pro ball if they're good enough. And uh, you know, uh, you know, there were some real, real dedicated people. They mm-hmm. were dedicated, you know, to the youth of today. And this, you know, this is what I was most impressed with. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, from. Rob Manfred, who spoke a couple years ago. Of course, Mike Matheny spoke this year. Dusty, I'm going to put in a vote for you. Maybe we can get you up on that main stage one of these days. Get your story out for us. To hear those guys, again, from Major League Baseball, come to an event that for the longest time, we're talking 75 years, Dusty, we've been focused primarily on amateur baseball, covering youth coaches, covering high school, travel, college coaches across every level. And to see now the influx, especially over the last 10 years, to see those professional-ranked coaches start to Hey man, this is just a place where you can go. It's a safe place. It's four days, but man, I can really get intensive about what we're doing with our organization. And uh, I think what's been a really cool crossover has been the professional teams coming to our events and really scouting the speakers. And a lot of younger coaches are starting to get jobs based on their presentations, based on their information. Um, so again, to have you experience that's pretty neat. Now you just walked into my spider web with the diversity committee. So when we brought that to life and this being our first ever meeting as a committee and bringing those folks into the room and certainly just having a terrific dialogue about where all of us are at and our respective you know, designations across the country, but how we see you know, maybe the solutions that are out there for us and certainly trying to grow this committee and 
and really find uh, ways to really help attack the issues of diversity and inclusion. You got a chance again. It was awesome to be in that room and hear you speak. Can you just kind of open up maybe the way that you view things or maybe some ideas that you may have that could really help us attack these diversity issues across the game? Well, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the problems deal with, uh, you know, economics and finances. Sure. You know, the game has, has, has turned to, to being a very costly game and, 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 and the more affluent, uh, you know, people uh, are, are participating in the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just think that it's a way, you know, we have to find a way to get the fathers involved, which most of, in my generation, you know, our dads got us involved in baseball, right. you know. And, uh, you know, my dad was my coach. My dad was Bobby Bond's coach. And mm-hmm. the fathers would come out and help. And, and you know, just like uh, I love to fish mainly because my dad was a fisherman. Well, <laughs> sure. most of the time the kids play ball because their dads, you know, are interested in in, in baseball. So, right. you know, what we have to do is, uh, you know, we have to have these kids fall in love with baseball at a young age cause versus uh you know, the opinion that it's too slow, it's too this, too that. Mm-hmm. But once you get into baseball and you love baseball, then you will forever see the intricacies of baseball. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's more to it than just standing around. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's actually synonymous to life mm-hmm. um, where, uh, you know, there's ups, there's downs, there's hot streaks, cold streaks. One day you're a hero, next day, <laughs> you know, you're zero. So it's kind of, right. it's, uh, it's the epitome of, of of life, uh, uh, you know, experiences every day to me. And so, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm just hoping that I know major league baseball is, 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 you know, making an attempt, you know, like, uh, you know, my nephew, one of my nephew, Dale Williams is in there. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, Dale Matthews is in there. Yeah. And then I saw Jeffrey Hammonds and then I saw, you know, uh, you know, some of the leaders, uh, you know, trying to, uh, make things happen. And the only way that we can have change is is, is to have somebody in the front. I mean, yep. you know, when I came in the game, you know, the game was like 16, 70%, you know, minorities. Now it's down to, I don't know, 5, 6%, sure. uh, even though there are quite a few uh, Latins playing. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, man, we're losing a lot of athletes. I mean, I remember one day I was watching a basketball game and I was watching Allen Iverson. I said, man, I bet he could play shortstop. <laughs> or I was watching this guy no over doubt. here. I said, and I I sure like to have him as a center fielder, you know, and so, you know, we're losing a lot of the athletes, but at the same time, I can understand how, how some of them are being lost, especially at college when they have an, uh, 50 odd scholarships in, in sure. football and sure. 14 or 15 in basketball. But, you know, my son is a sophomore at University of California, Berkeley, and I mm-hmm. get, I think, 11.7 scholarships for, if, for, if they're fully funded, 25. Yeah, 30 guys. And yep. if you're getting a half scholarship, uh, I mean, you're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how many uh, minorities can afford a half scholarship when you have to supplement, you know, the other uh, uh, fifteen or $20,000 where right. if you're playing football and basketball, you'd have a full, you know, a full scholarship. So uh, that's, uh, I think the number one thing is that we have to have, you know, hopefully we can change this NCAA rule that, uh, you know, you get more scholarships because a lot of guys aren't, are prepared or ready for life to sign out of out of out of high school, and 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 the pros now are preferring uh, kids out of college. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I first signed, they would prefer kids out of high school because right. they get a longer longer shelf life out of them. But now you're can still. I mean, back in my day, you were considered 
<laughs> old or if you hadn't got to the big leagues at 25, 26 years old, now they're considering them kids. That's right. You know, they, you know, they'll say, hey, man, have you seen our kids? I'm like, well, how old is he? And they say, well, they're 26, 27. But, you know, if you go to college, graduate, or at least leave out your junior year and you spend three or four years in the minor leagues, well, you're 24 to 26 years old. That's right. So, uh, you know, things have changed. I think a lot of the change has come through modern medicine. Where, where if you were 35 to 36 years old, you know, you were considered older. Only the guys that uh, Hank Aaron and Mays and, mm-hmm. and, and man on these guys, you know, the superstars played that long. Where nowadays, you know, guys are playing until, uh, you know, 35 to 40 years old easily mm-hmm. because of modern medicine. They can take something out of your knee and put it over on this side, take somebody elbow and put it over here and, <laughs> You know, Frankenstein's alive, and therefore, you know, therefore, uh, you know, guys can play longer. Sure. You know, I mean, this modern medicine is 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 amazing to me, uh, and I've seen the, you know, the progression of it, you know, since I uh, came into uh, baseball at a very young age. That's right. Well, you and I both got to get on that Tom Brady plan. Uh, whatever, whatever he's doing, something's <laughs> something's working. Well, hey man, you tell those guys that are playing to get on that Tom Brady plan. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Well, I want to go back to because you mentioned you mentioned Dell being in the room. So so awesome to have Dell Matthews and Tyrone Brooks and oh yeah, uh, and Tony oh, yeah. Regan. Tony Regan. Oh my god. Oh yeah. So it was it was a huge nod for us and Carrick Carrick Jackson, head coach at Southern University. We put as the chair of that committee. When we started looking at, again, across all the demographics, we wanted a youth coach presence in there. We wanted high school coach presence and travel and college and and then also outside groups and outside influences. But to have MLB in the room, and certainly, Dusty, you coming in and really being that that extra pat on the back, but to have them, I, and I want to really accentuate how important this was, for them to look at that room of youth all the way through all the various levels and, and cities across the country and say, hey, we're here to help. And all the things that we're doing from the MLB end to solve this problem, you need to know that you have access to these programs, and we want your help to make them work. And I thought that may have been, I told Carrick this, that may have been worth its weight in gold just to have that accessibility, right, to MLB that a right. lot of youth or high school, or if you're if you're locked in a place in Boston or down in Dallas, you just don't have the opportunity to speak to MLB and to hear them say that was a huge nod for the committee, the people in that room, the people they'll be able to influence. And again, as we keep moving forward, man, our job is to help find the solution. That's exactly where we want to go with it. Well, you know, you figure, you know, I looked around the room and, and you can see how all the ears are open. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, the, uh, you know, the, you know, the leader from, from Southern University took over from my good friend, uh, Roger Kador. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Roger was, was a good friend of mine and, and he was my teammate with the Braves, you know, when we wow. both started out as kids and, uh, you know, I think what's important in that room is the fact that, uh, you know, to see somebody that came from humble beginnings, just like most of the guys in that room were. That's right. And see that, hey, man, the, it's a tough road, but, you know, some you know some can make it, some don't, but you go as far and high as it, as you can go in life. Hmm. And uh, you know, no matter what, uh, you know, you're going to ho- hopefully motivate somebody and, uh, you know, bring somebody with you. And That's then right. they bring somebody with you and then, you know, with them. And uh, hopefully at the end of this thing, you know, we're all prosperous and happy and, and, and continuing to, you know, to spread the wealth, so to speak. That's what it's about. And we're excited about hopefully moving forward with this committee, hopefully moving towards, again, solutions. But 
it, you're dead on what you meant, mentioned earlier, the economics of things and the scholarship situation. And we've got to get into the NCAA in the room to have those conversations with Major League Baseball. I know there's been a, a lot of uh, scholarship discussions. There's been talking about earmarking scholarships for minority players, that being a grassroots uh, basically move to make sure that they're playing baseball, or at least when they are comparing basketball and football scholarships, they were talking about the same monies. And so they can look at them. Right. I can go over here and play baseball. And obviously it's probably a little more healthier than football is. We all have seen that. But um, anyway, we're moving that direction, well, but it was great to have you. You know something? I, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, you just made a great point. Uh, the NCAA is going to have to do something, Yeah. you know, cause they, I mean, because they're under fire from basketball and, and f- mostly football. That, you know, how much money, you know, the colleges are making off of these kids. No doubt. You know? Uh, so they're under fire. I mean, to me, as far as uh, you know, trying to do something in in baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know uh, you know Title Nine. You know, was good. It was good for both, but they got to increase it. To me, I mean, you know, right. the girls' uh, softball and the boys' baseball. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, like I said, my son, I go to college games now, and uh, you know, you're lucky to see one or two, uh, you know, minorities on the team, especially right. the major you know, the major, uh, uh, conferences. That's so, right. uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll all get together and, and, and more than anything, hopefully 10 years from now, we're not still talking about the same thing. That's you know, it. We talked about this 25, 30, 40 years ago, That's it. you know, and, and here we are talking about the, <laughs> about the same thing. So, you know, I think we got the right people, like you said, Tony Riggins and, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, these, and his crew of guys, sure. you know, uh, I know Jerry Manuel's working extensively. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Hammonds, they're, they're, they're flying all over the country to try to get, uh, you know, young men and women involved and, and fall in love with baseball because it is a very nice way to make a living. There's no doubt. Well, I want to walk into this because uh, I think your story is, and as you kind of alluded to in that committee meeting room, is is one to, to look back and learn from. And so we're talking about, you know, you being the pride of Del Campo High School there outside of SAC. Um, I want to just kind of go through your maybe start as a young player. When did you fall in love? You talked about playing catch with your dad and your dad really being a, an influence on you. When did the game become more than just a hobby or just something that you did out in the backyard? When did it really start to turn into a passion? And then take us through maybe some stories that really accentuate when you think back about your youth playing career, what really jumps out to you? Well, you know, my youth playing career, what jumps out is that I wasn't that, that you know, that stud guy on the team. Okay. And, uh, you know, Bobby Bonds was that guy that threw a, a no-hitter and hit two home runs, and my dad was his his coach uh, in Little League. And I, wow. I, was, I used to follow Bobby Bonds around. Everybody wanted to be like Bobby. <laughs> Bobby played all four sports. You know, I played four sports. And then, uh, actually, my dad... You know, he cut me from his team when I was eight, nine, and ten because he said I had a bad attitude. Wow! And if I could, and if I could put that attitude in a proper direction, I could be something one day. And I actually wanted to quit wow. at ten years old because I was tired of getting cut. Yeah. And I wanted to get the paper out. I wanted to make some money. And my dad said he had too much money invested in me in that nine ninety nine Sears and Roebuck <laughs> Ted Williams glove that I had. Sure. And, uh, so that good uh, leather. Yeah, yeah, that good leather. And so, uh, uh, you know, like, you know, we played all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, the, our town of Riverside was a town that had about 50,000 people then. I don't know. They probably got 250,000 now. But uh, I was born in 1949 in Riverside, California. 
And uh, it was a great town to grow up in because we all knew each other. Yeah, you know, we played foot league, we played pony league, we played coat league. Uh, uh, you know, together. Um, uh, and the town was such where you know it was. It, it seemed the equal amount of of, of of Mexicans, black and whites, and a few Japanese hmm. uh, kids. And like I said, we all went to school together. Yep. There's only I think two high schools and 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 three or four junior high schools that fed the high schools. And so wow. uh, everybody knew everybody. And uh, then my dad's job got transferred to Sacramento when I was uh, going into my junior year, which, you know, I was saddened because I thought I was going to be a big man on campus <laughs> like Bobby Bonds used to be sure. down at Riverside. And the coaches begged my dad, you know, to let me stay with one of them because yep. I was a skinny kid with speed, <laughs> you know, agility mm-hmm. and uh big hands big feet not much in between <laughs> and so uh i moved up to sacramento uh which which became almost like you know paradise for me for what i like to do you know mm-hmm. we live not far from the river i could go fishing in the morning before practice because i always fish with, you know with my dad yeah uh you know on the weekends and so but the only thing is uh you know we moved up here uh you know, I mean, uh, to much to my surprise, uh, there was, there were two blacks in my high school, me and my brother. Wow. And there was one in the junior high school that fed the high school, my sister, and there was two in the elementary school, uh, my brother and sister that fed the junior high school. Wow. So it was a little different. Yeah. Um, you know, made me, made me tough and made me, um, uh, you know, when I played against the white schools, you know, they, you know, they, you know, you know, call me things and yep. do things. And then when I played against the black schools, they thought I was a white dude because I was over there with all the white guys. Right. And I'm like, hey, man. And then, you know, I'd go over to the black schools and get, uh, you know, to play uh, sometime on the weekends. And, and then I got a lot more respect from them after I burned some guys up in basketball. There you go. I was playing. <laughs> and, uh, and so, see, I, I was a... Uh, you know, my number one love was basketball. Okay. And then, and then my number two was football. And then probably I ran track like Bobby. I went to the state track meet and the oh. long jump. But I'd never been beaten until I went to the state track meet. And then, but I didn't feel so bad about four or five years later because the guys that beat me were, were, were you know, Sidney Wicks, um, uh, Charlie Johnson, the uh, CJ who played for the Gold State Warriors. Sure. Um, uh, uh, Mel Gray. You know, played the St. Louis Cardinals, and I was like, "Dang, this is a mega!" <laughs> no doubt. You know, Curtis Rowe, I think, won the high jump. I mean, this was a wow. mega, mega class. And so, anyway, uh, uh, my dad had me signed up to go to Santa Clara, which I didn't want to go to, you know, because I wanted to go to Arizona State or Arizona State or San Jose State. To play. I was going to Arizona to play football, Arizona State, and San Jose State to play basketball. But wow. my dad, you know, like he didn't, you know, he didn't want me to go there. So yeah. I signed without his permission. I got drafted by the Braves, and and I prayed. I said, Lord, please don't let me get drafted by the Atlanta Braves because the Atlanta Braves was in the South, right? and all their teams were in the South. And right. This was 67, and everything. It, it was a very tumultuous time in our in our society. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and I could go anywhere in San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury, Golden Gate Park, but my dad didn't want me to go into Berkeley. And, uh, you know, he didn't want me hanging around 
you know, Timothy Leary and John Baez and Nature Rap Brown, right. and Huey Newton, and you know, because you know, yeah, and then that's exactly where <laughs> I was attracted to, of course. And so, anyway, Vietnam was hot, yeah, and so I mean, real hot. So, anyway, I signed without my dad's permission. Came back home, I had to go to college. Uh, I promised my mom, but also not to get drafted. And so, um, I came out in June. You know, led the team in 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 hitting, but couldn't qualify for batting title because I didn't have enough at bats. And wow. but it was tough. You know, going from you know the West Coast society of every all nonconformist to almost a total segregation in that sure. that time. All the blacks and Latins had to live together in whatever part of town that we were in, whether it was South Carolina. Uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, this is our minor league teams. Uh, you know, we were in the Carolina League. We were in the, uh, you know, all our teams were basically in the South. And so, uh, you know, it was a little difficult. I mean, it was it was, it was very difficult. And so uh, I came back home from playing ball that summer, and and uh, I had to go to court because, uh, you know, my dad tried to nullify my contract, and, and wow. he couldn't. Mom's my legal guard guardian, so I didn't speak to my dad for like, you know, three years. And uh, wow. California was deemed the uh, um, executor over my my finances, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they evoked the Jackie Coogan child prodigy law, which the um, uh, state of California was my trustee. So they they invested my money in IBM and Standard Oil of California, which is now Chevron. And, uh, you know, my money tripled and, you know, that's when I start watching the stock market and all of a sudden my dad, my dad was a lot more intelligent (laughs) than I thought he was at, you know, I gave, well, from afar, I gave my dad that, that famous, when you're 18, I'm 18 now, I'm grown, I can do what I want. That's it. But but notice I said from afar. Yeah. So (laughs) up close, totally different story. Oh, heck no. On the way out the door. Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, uh, then the Braves got tired of me missing. I come in like in June. I wouldn't come in until June. Wow. And uh, the team had been there since February. So that, that next year I joined the Marine Reserves. And I had a cho- choice between the Marines mm-hmm. and the and the National Guard, the Army. I didn't want to join the National Guard because the National Guard is being called out, you know, on riots in our country. Right. And so... I joined the Marines and I was in there for six years and, you know, then I was tired of the South. I wanted to come back to the coast. Every time I'd go in to ask to be traded, they'd ask me, had I ever been to Cleveland? <laughs> and I was like, why do you keep telling me about Cleveland? <laughs> I hadn't been there. See, Cleveland wasn't the Cleveland that it is now. No Cleveland's doubt. a great town yes. now. I'm telling you. But back then they had, they played in the old Cleveland Brown Stadium, yep. which I ended up playing in with the A's. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, it's, it's, probably the most improved town in the in america but back then wow. that's where that's what they and i asked hank i said hank why do you keep asking me about have i ever been to cleveland and he goes well that's kind of like the siberian front where they send the, the bad <laughs> actors when they want to <laughs> eventually send you, send no you doubt. home no doubt you know like, i don't think i want to go there <laughs> so anyway they sent me to la uh, things didn't start out well but then they or end well but they were great in between and uh you know, I had a great time. Gosh. Okay. Lots to unpack there. I want to go back to going to play in the South. Certainly, 
I, I can't even as the as the white dude on the call, I can't even imagine the stuff that you went through and I'm not even gonna act like I can. Well but, but I learned a lot. You know that? I learned a lot. No doubt. And 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 that was perhaps the best thing that happened to me was going to the South. Okay. You know? What what did you pull from that? What where that's where exactly where I want well, to go with it. What did you pull from those experiences? Yeah. Well, number one, you know, I got, you know, a lot more pride that I had gotten California about being African American. Yep. And and seeing total neighborhoods that in Atlanta that were better than the neighborhood that I grew up out here thinking that being from California. Yeah. And I also uh, pulled from that I got to meet through Hank who took care of me, promised mm-hmm. my mommy to take care of me as if I was his son. Mm-hmm. I got to meet all the civic leaders of of you know, of our time, you know, Ted Abernathy and, and uh, you know, Maynard Jackson, Andrew Young, because uh, they, you know, Hank would take me always to NAACP meetings or, or the town hall meetings, uh, you know, got to meet Jesse Jackson and, you know, the staple singers and you name them, uh, wow. William Bell, I got to meet uh, everybody, Gladys Knight and the Pips. I mean, a lot of the people that my mom and dad had, you know, raised us up with mm-hmm. and also it taught me that, you know that everybody with an accent, uh, 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 you know, wasn't in the Ku Klux Klan, right? And, right. And, and 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 I got some really close friends, you know, in the South, and they. Uh, but also on the other hand, you know, everybody black ain't good necessarily either. Yeah. And so, yep. uh, you know, th- these are some of the lessons that I learned in the South, and because that's the only place where it appears that, you know. Um, even though the there's lines of separation and segregation are, are, are pretty defined, that's the only place in the country where you know everybody's predominantly the same religion. Yep. Everybody eats about the same food. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I learned a lot. And then wow. when I came back to California, because uh, when I left, I might have been a, naive on some things, but yeah. when I came back. Then you know, then I I, I could kind of see through. You know, people became more transparent. That's I could it. sort of tell who's, who was who was with me and who you know was was against you. Because sometimes, especially when you're young, you can get fooled by that yeah. by that fake smile. That's you it. Know what I mean? you know, That's just it. like you can fool sometime on uh, some other place on on, on a frown. Mm. You know what I mean? So wow. Uh, like I said, I. You know, I learned a lot because you know, once you know longer naive, then you forever see, and and uh, that's what happened to me. Wow! Talk about broadening your perspective. Holy smokes! Um, did you did you have a moment, Dusty? That again, things were tough, things were rough. You, you, I mean, is there a moment where you went, I don't know if I can do this, man. I think I just might go back home. I'm gonna go back where it's safe and give up on baseball. Did you ever have a moment like that? How'd you? Well, there was it? a moment. Well, there was a moment when I, like I said, you know, I, I signed pro baseball to help my family yeah. because my dad had just gotten divorced and so the economic spokes were off in the wheel but mm. yeah you know there were there were some moments mm. you know i called home but there's no you know you you know once you make up your mind you can't go back and the reason what really motivated me is that i didn't want my dad to be to be right mm. you know <laughs> that i had made a mistake but also when i look back i didn't know the chance that i was taking when they tell you that, you know, that's why I was hoping my son wouldn't get drafted too high, and I wanted to get drafted 
you know, at least get drafted for his own own self-esteem, but not too high to get tempted to sign. You want him to go to college. Yeah, you're taking yeah. a heck of a, a risk. And I didn't know there, and see, back in my day, you know, I had to really prey on, on that because mm. um, if you were pro in all sports, Jim Thorpe Law, you were pro in everything. Where, wow. where now, now, they, you know, they changed the rule, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, mm -hmm. that if you're pro in one sport, you still uh, maintain your amateur status in, yep. in other sports. Yep. So, so it wouldn't have been that big a deal to me back then if I'd have had that option. You know, but you know, we didn't have the you know, we didn't have the option and I remember when I first played my first game and uh um I was with the uh Austin Braves and on the team was Ralph Gar, my roommate, he you know, we were in the same draft and mm -hmm. Cito Gath who was older than us. Yeah. And uh so <clears throat> um we were playing uh, my first game in Little Rock, Arkansas and I um I dropped the first ball hit to me. And they had just marched these uh, uh, people in into right field by me, probably about 50 people. And they were all over me, man, calling me names I had never heard before. Sure. Man. And I was like, oh, shit. Some of them pretty good. I was like, damn, that's pretty good. <laughs> Haven't heard that before. Oh, never. I mean, there was some there was some racial stuff I had never yeah. heard before. So yeah. uh, I started crying. And Cito saw me crying. And he goes, hey, kid. He goes, I'll take care of you, man. He goes. And so I always had somebody older than me because i was always called a kid and i was younger than almost anybody on the team sure and uh so anyway come to find out after the game say it's on thursday uh thursday well they you know they had a mental uh institution or a hospital right next to the ballpark hmm. and and they would march uh the people out of the mental institution in the right field so all oh. those guys that were they're on me <laughs> just to put <laughs> hands in the days. seats <laughs> yeah yeah they were dead out of the mental institution and i was like oh man <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know then i didn't feel quite so bad exactly. but i still felt bad i'm know? gonna be okay oh wow yeah. okay take we're gonna stay one more question on this playing career i want to move into the coaching stuff because obviously we got coaches listening but um the playing career side of things when you look back at your time and hanging out with other teammates. And I love the fact, and I don't know if you meant to say this earlier, but talking about really bringing others up as you move forward, you reach back and bring others up. That seems right. to be something that all, you know, Hank and you said Cito and those guys have done is looking back yeah. and pulling you up with them. So I know that's a uh, definitely going to resonate with you. But, yeah, but I mean, not only those guys, but I mean, but we had guys like, okay, like Cleet Boyer on the Braves. I mean, they, they were great. Cleet Boyer, Bob yeah. Tillman. You know, uh, you know, Joe Torrey was on that team, mm -hmm. uh, on those teams. And see, I was a September call-up. I was in the big leagues at, at like 19 years old. Wow. And so, you know, one year out of removed out of high school. And, uh, you know, Hank would catch me gawking at guys, and he'd say, hey, man, quit gawking at him. He said, respect <laughs> him. Uh, but he didn't understand. I, well, he probably did. But, you know, I was one year out of high school watching right. these guys, and here I was with them. Gosh. You know what I mean? And I, I remember – reading a article by Tommy AG that said that the toughest part about being in the big leagues is feeling that and feeling and really believing that you belong in the big leagues. Mm. They, and, they uh, call that imposter syndrome. Well, that was me. I was pretty good. At imposter. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was gawking at those yeah. guys. And Hank, well, 19. Hank man. Gawking at him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Cause I had just seen, 
these guys, you know, I met Bob Gibson with Hank, and I had just seen him punch out 19 Tigers a year before, you <laughs> no know what I mean, in the World Series. And here I was, you know, with Hank, because I was always with Hank, me and Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd go to dinner with these guys, and, and uh, you know, I'd sit there and, you know, not say much and uh, not say a word. <laughs> and uh, it, it, was, it was a pretty good experience. And then, you know, on our teams, we're like uh, on the Braves. I mean, you know, uh, I tell people I played with Satchel Page. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And mm-hmm. they're like, you played with Satchel Page? I said, yeah, because he was trying to get his four years in the big leagues to get fully vested on the pension. That's it. And so uh, I used to carry all his fishing rods around, and he called me Daffy, you know. And I said, look, my name is Dusty. Yeah. He, goes, he goes, Daffy, I know what your name is, so I just <laughs> answered to Daffy. You know oh, what I mean? Man. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, yeah, we had some fun. I mean, we had some great, great times. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, I was just thinking about Frank Robinson this morning. Yep. You know, we used to barnstorm with them. Uh, you know, we were in West Palm. They were in Miami. Mm-hmm. And we'd leave and go play in New Orleans at a makeshift ballpark. And then we'd go to uh, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, mm-hmm. and play in Brickwood Field. And... uh so I got to know all those Orioles. Those Orioles are great yep. at that time. Yep. You know? no doubt. So, Gosh. Uh, like I said, that was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And then I got traded to LA and it was even, it was even better really. Cause I, you know, I got to meet uh, Jim Gilliam and, you know, Joe Black was always there giving mm-hmm. us advice, Newcomb and Roy Campanella. And then they tell these stories about Jackie Robinson. And I remember when I first, uh, you know, my, you know, my most inspirational guys. I had some great guys in pro ball: Clint Courtney and Lufus Gerald. And okay. uh, you know, some taught me how to be, and some taught me how not to be. Exactly. There's a couple of, yeah, there's a just couple as of valuable. Guys, just as valuable. There yeah. are a couple of guys that, like, I had an American Legion coach named uh, Spider Jorgensen, hmm. and and I didn't know until years later the spider had played with Jackie Robinson or else I'd have been his ear off <laughs> no asking doubt. questions. And I was in Dodger town and I, and I, you know, my first day and I'm going through the, uh, the chow hall and they got a huge uh, mural that covers the, uh, the whole wall, probably 25, 30 yards wow. down, down this corridor. And it has, you know, Dodger history, all the way through, and I get to the end of it, and they have Spider Jorgensen um, tagging somebody out at third base. So I was like, nah, that couldn't be my American League <laughs> coach. I called my dad. I said, Dad, did you know that he played with the Dodgers? And he goes, yeah, son, you didn't know that? Wow. I said, he never told us. <laughs> but when I think back, he had us doing drills. He had us doing soft toss drills and with the broom. You know, wow. you know, like, uh, you know, with the weight on the end and simulating hitting and yeah. just, just different things. Uh, and, you know, he was way advanced in order to, you know, to help us and, to, and especially help me. You went into some teammates. Obviously, now we're in coaches. When you think back at coaches as a youth player, a professional player, what are some of the ones that jumped off to you? And maybe what were some of the, the key reasons why they'll come up on this podcast, the reason why you're willing to, well, you know, what would jump off? Yeah. You know, I mean, probably number one, my dad, 
Mm-hmm. And then I had Roy Hale and Riverside, and then I had Ben Hammersmith and Riverside, and Coach Morales and Riverside. And I came to Sacramento, and uh, you know I had probably one of my favorite coaches, Mr. McCullough, and and you know we used to talk fishing, and he was a, he was he was a, a great man, great basketball coach, mm. and he he I was ashamed to tell anybody about my parents separating and. He could notice the difference, which I use later, a difference in a, in a young person's personality. Yeah. And, you know, if all of a sudden the guy's talkative and all of a sudden he's quiet. And something's wrong. Something's wrong. Yep. And then, you know, you want somebody to talk to, but you don't want anybody prying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when he asked me what's wrong and then, you know, I just spilt my guts out, but I was waiting on somebody that I cared about that genuinely cared about me to ask me what was sure. wrong. Sure, yeah. And so I learned a lot from Mr. McCullough. Uh, you know, we remained close until, you know, he died a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I had some great, uh, you know, some great coaches. I had like mm. Al Beta at, uh, he was a track coach at American River that trained me before, uh, you know, I went to my first year of pro ball with no spring training. I was in great shape because he, I ran, I, I, I worked out with the track team. Wow. And then when I got, and like I said, then I got the pro ball. Uh, yeah, you know, I've named some of the people on the, uh, and you know, on the Braves, I had a couple of people. Like I said, that, that you know, taught me how not to be. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather not mention mm-hmm. yep. the name. No but, doubt. You know, I mean, that was valuable too. Then when yeah. I got to L.A., you know, I had Tom Lasorda, who, who's probably one of the most positive coaches I, I, I you know, uh, I had that you know stuck his neck out mm-hmm. for me after my first year there. When everybody, you know, I was in a uh, four four for two trade, and I was one of the main guys on the two. Yeah, uh, I was being booed every day because I hurt my leg playing basketball. Now, <laughs> you as just soon as I got traded, I, I could well, but you know something? That's you asked me twenty minutes ago. When did I fall in love with baseball? I fell in love with baseball when it was almost taken from me. There you go. Wow. You know, and then I knew we'd get there. <laughs> Yeah, then all of a sudden, yeah, then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, yep. man, it's almost into my career. Wow. And then I had a trainer in L.A., uh, uh, Dr. Bill Bueller was, was great, and he, and he worked with me every day in the wintertime. I, had a ca- I was casted for, from my hip to my ankle, my oh. leg atrophied big time, yep. and uh, I remember before my operation, because I played that whole year uh, on a bad leg. Hmm. And um, Dr. Bill, he asked me, he goes, hey, man, you know, how'd you hurt your leg? So I, I tried to make up a lie to simulate, you know, the act that how I hurt it. Yeah. And so he goes, hmm, you're running your dog, huh? I said, yeah. He goes, well, did your dog get an assist? And <laughs> I said, uh, he, says, he says, don't ever lie to me again. Right. That's the same thing that Mr. McCullough told me one time um, when I lied to him that I was sick. Uh, couldn't go to practice on Saturday because the steelhead were running in the river, and they and they saw me in the middle of the river fishing. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I learned some learned. valuable lessons about about tell the truth, oh, you know, man. to you know to your coaches. And so, lo and behold, fast forward um, when I was a manager of the Giants, yep, and uh, you know Jeff Kent got hurt, yep. And, uh, and I asked him, was he on his motorcycle? And he 
don't lie to me because and I told him my story about how I hurt there my leg and, I, and, I, and it came full circle. And I said, I'll cover you the same way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they covered me. Just tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. And so you'd be surprised, you know, like a lot of my coaching stuff came from things in my background, came yeah. from other coaches. It came from me being the oldest of five uh, kids in the family, which mm-hmm. taught me responsibility. Uh, came, you know, some of my uh, ways came from being in the military and the Marines and being in charge of of the platoon, and which a, a lot of this I didn't choose to ever be out front or be the lead. Yeah, I was, I was chosen for one reason or another you know, to be out front. And there were times when I didn't want to be out front. You know, I want to just blend in and do my thing and then just get out. But uh, I was always forced to, you know, to come out. And then I I really didn't even want a coach to tell you the truth. Really? Uh, no, because, you know, I, I, I think a coach is wearing shorts and my legs is, are too skinny to be wearing shorts. Uh <laughs> You know, they're they're all strong, mm-hmm. uh, almost, and they had a whistle. And I'm like, that ain't me. <laughs> right. And, uh, but again, I was chosen, yeah. you know, because I went to a, a meeting in Dallas with uh, with Hank Aaron, Joe Morgan, Frank Robinson, uh, uh, Bobby Tolan, Don Baylor, uh, Ralph Gar, and there were about, I don't know, 15 of us that were trying to get Guys, jobs, like I said, we're doing the same struggle now. Jobs in baseball yep. when they get out of the game. Yep. There's coach in the PR department or whatever. And, uh, you know, when you got through coaching, you know, there were no jobs for us. That's right. And then, and then Al Campanis, my former general manager, you know, which surprised me, you know, he said that, that, that blacks weren't qualified to do certain upper echelon thinking jobs. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And so, um, they had this committee, which they asked me to come to, at the Dallas winter at the winter meetings in Dallas, and uh, so um, Bob uh, Kennedy was there, and he, he saw us walk in, and then afterwards he says, uh, "Al Rosen would like to talk to you," hmm. and I said, "Well, I have a job. I was a stockbroker at the time," and uh, he says, uh, "No, just just listen to what he has to say." He goes, Dust, "You don't know me." But I was the guy that that was really responsible for talking the Braves and signing you that day. I worked out in Dodger Stadium. Wow! I was 18 years old, and I was like, "Really?" And so you just—I guess I must have done something that impressed him mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Mr. Frozen. He said he he had liked how I played against him when he was the general manager of Houston because us in Houston were fighting like all the time. Right. Right. Uh, uh, I mean, they were good. They were real good. Yep. And so I went to see Mr. Rosen. And he says, call me Al. I said, no, it ain't Mr. Rosen. And so <laughs> yeah. and so, so they flew me to San Francisco. I was getting divorced. And uh, I wanted to move back up north. And uh, I went to see uh, Al Rosen. He goes, hey, man, you know, what are, you know, what are aspirations? I said, I'd like to be assistant GM. And he says, I have an assistant GM. And he says, I, I, I think you'd be better suited for the field. 
So I took kind of exception to that, and I didn't say nothing, but he could tell by the look on my face. He goes, oh, I didn't mean it like that. He goes, I, I, I meant that you'd be a fine field manager someday, but it's going to take you five years to get the, the, the baseball, I mean, the player out of you. So I, I left, wow. came back to Southern Cal, and I, I, me and my brother and our daughters, we went to Lake Arrowhead. I told my dad I was going to Lake Arrowhead to, to pray on this decision because mm-hmm. it was a major decision mm-hmm. for, for me. I was at a crossroads in my marriage and my career and my career, everything. And so I was at the right place at the right time. Uh, that was a recipient of, of, of Al Campana's statement. Wow. And uh, self, Don Baylor, Cito, and, and Hal McRae. So I went it I went checked into Marriott and I'm standing in line and somebody chap, taps me on the shoulder, I turn around and it's Bob Laurie, the owner of the Giants. <laughs> and he says, You need to come join us. I said, Man, what are you doing there? He goes, This is my first time here. I said, Mine too. And I never saw him the rest of the weekend. If I had you know, if I hadn't and I, I went talk I called on my dad on the phone, I said, Dad, what do you think? Is that a sign? And he goes, Son, if that's not a sign <laughs> No yeah, you went up there to look for a sign before you even checked in. Yeah. The sign was tapping on the shoulder. It was waiting for so, you. <laughs> yeah, so wow, I, I I moved to 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 Northern Cal. You know, uh, you know, I put the pickup. I mean, I I, I rented a U-Haul truck, and yeah. my buddy drove my car, and uh, you know, I said, okay, I'll I'll um get myself five years to be the manager someplace or go into another profession in almost five years to the day. That's, yeah. Uh, I was chosen and, and Al Rosen, Al Rosen, when I was, he, I was a first base coach and I was a batting coach. Yeah. Th- uh, then, uh, uh, I remember, well, when I first started coaching, uh, you know, I, I come off, I was making like 800,000 at the end of my, uh, tenure with the Dodgers as a player, mm-hmm. then coming in as a coach. Nowhere he close. Offered 40, <laughs> he offered me forty five thousand dollars. No and doubt. I was like, I'm like, come on, Mister Rosen. Mm-hmm. I said, man, you know, welcome like, to coaching, know, Dusty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I said, hey, man, the more money you pay me, the better work I do. He goes, nope, you got it all wrong, buddy boy. It's the first time he called me buddy boy, and and he says, you got it all wrong. Mm-hmm. He says. The more work you do, then you might get paid. There's no doubt. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. I said, man, that sounds just like my dad. So <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, a couple of years goes uh, go by, and I was a batting coach. I mean, we yeah. had some, some great players. I yep. mean, I loved working with Mitch and Will Clark and Robbie mm-hmm. Thompson and Aaron Lewis and, and all of them. And um, uh, Matt Williams. God, man, we had some good. Willie no McGee. We had some great, great players. And so we're in a meeting, and uh, Al Rosen says, he says, uh, hey, man, um, we got to find somebody to hit behind uh, Will Clark. And I had just had that meeting, I, I mean, that conversation with my dad the night before, and I mm-hmm. said, Dad, you know, you know, we need somebody to hit behind Will. So he goes, well, you got one, son. He goes, Kevin Mitchell. I said, Kevin Mitchell? I said, but Daddy drops his hands. And he says, uh, well, tell him to drop his hand sooner and get him a heavy That's bat. A... Wow. And I was like, huh, okay, Dad. So now we're in a meeting. So Al's going around asking everybody who you want to trade for, this and that. So he goes, uh, he goes, buddy boy, I know you got something to say. 
I feel like saying my name ain't Buddy yeah. Boy, just like my name wasn't Daffy. Just know? wear it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had to. So no, no. I was like, okay. So he says, uh, I know you got some ideas. And I says, well, you know, how about Kevin Mitchell? He goes, whose dumbass idea was that? <laughs> and I went, well, it was my dad. My <laughs> so I was telling too. So he goes, well, what's your dad know? I said, my dad knows a lot, Mr. Rosen. So we we did it. And, and I gave Kevin a heavy bat. I think he hit 49 and MVP yes. and all that stuff. But now we got the end of the year meeting. So I'm not going to say a word. So Al says, okay, so-and-so goes around the room. So he's like, hey, man, uh, I know you got something to say, buddy boy. So here we go again. And I said, no, I have nothing to say, Mr. Rosen. He says, uh, call me Al. I said, no, nope. Mr. Rosen, I have nothing to say. So he says, well, you think your dad got any other ideas? That's what he told me. <laughs> I knew. So anyway, so, so yeah. And so I was I was a coach, and then the team was threatening to leave. And so Al says, uh, I want you to go to, uh, you know, they're going to move to Tampa. And uh, wow. he says, I want you to go to, to the fall league down there the first year of the fall league and i said no i want to go to the hawaiian league because you know i love hawaii <laughs> but the hawaiian league never got off the ground so i had to make up my mind to go to the to the, the fall league and so uh al calls me about i don't know a week before the fall league was going to end and they had just uh called uh you know he and roger i guess it just retired and they were looking for a manager. Uh, the team was going to stay. Mm-hmm. Charles Schwab and Walter Shorenstein, you know, uh, who, uh, you know, you know, were big time in my corner, but I didn't know it. Yeah. Uh, Don Fisher. I, I mean, I met all with Charles Schwab. I met all these guys uh, when I was, you know, going for the job as a manager. And so Al calls me and he goes, look, he goes, Bob Quinn's going to come down today. He said, the job is yours. Just don't screw it up and just don't try to tell him, show him how smart you are. Sure. Get out of your own way. <laughs> yeah, exactly what he told me. Sure. And I was like, huh. So next thing I know, they, they, you know, Peter took over. Peter McGon took over. They, they first signed was, uh, first signing, uh, was Barry Bonds. Mm-hmm. Second was, was, was Bobby, his father, you know, my childhood hero. And right. then this. Uh, the third one was me, and and then then that's how my my coaching, I mean my managing career started. Wow. Okay. So go back to those five years. I'm gonna put a toothpick in just so we all feel comfortable. Okay. Because now you're a coach. Uh, so I got one in. I just want to walk through those five years with me because I think there's some gold in there. You talked about you know basically working the player out of you, seeing the game differently, Dusty. How did you grow inside those five years? Like in terms of communicating, really trying to relay what you knew or your experiences back to players, but seeing the game, that's got to completely well, change your perspective, right? Yeah, it, it does change my perspective. Yeah. And, uh, I remember Lou Brock had told me one time, uh, because he was doing some announcing with the Cardinals, mm-hmm. and, he, and he just told me, he said, Dusty, he says, from up there, there are holes everywhere, Yeah, uh, all over the field. It's your you viewpoint, man. Yeah, yeah, you can't understand why guys can't get a hit. And he goes, down on the field, look like there's 22 players on the field. There's not a hole anywhere. 
and he and he told me he he warned me just don't get greater in my own mind than I really was. Mm. And uh, that was a great great piece of advice. You know, don't try not to talk about what I did yes. or you know I I hit this I did that yep. and and you know try to make it you know more about the player That's and it. it was really an easy transition because I had some I had some you know some great players to work with and. Uh, uh, you know, I remember that I, I thought that, as a coach, I was more like the uncle that they, you know that you can tell anything mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you can tell your uncle anything. That's it. But as a manager, I was like the father. You could tell your dad most things, but not everything. <laughs> like you can tell your uncle. Sure. And and so you know that helped me a lot. Uh, plus, you know, you know I had a a special group of guys. Yep. And and they, you know, I try to spend time with them, you know. We'd go, we'd, and I try to spend time with them off the field, mm-hmm. you know, because that way, because you know, let's face it, most guys are game time. They're different, yep. you know, on on the field. I mean, sometimes they're the same, but I always thought that if you know, you really want to know somebody, like an entertainer. Uh, you know, a guy in a band or something. I mean, he's singing, you know, through his emotions and That's his it. words. That's and, it. And, and it's like, okay, you know, I felt like I know B.B. King or I know <laughs> Stones or whoever mm-hmm. is, is singing, you know. But, but as a baseball player, as an athlete, you know, you got two faces. You got game face and you got off the field face. Yep. I mean, some, I mean, some guys are pretty close, but some guys are as different as night and day. So, uh, I just call upon my experiences from Spider, from Mr. McCullough, from you know, from uh, 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 La Florida, from you know, whoever I had. I just call upon uh, you know experiences with them, and also my you know my personal likes and dislikes as a as a player and a and a person. Gosh, okay. Well, you mentioned your son a few times. I think it's a great <clears throat> opportunity to just ask how have you balanced being the baseball guy that you are, the way that you've seen it, your experiences. I know you've tried to relay as much of that, as much as you think he can handle. But when you go watch him play, how are you balancing being dad, but also, you know, baseball dude through and through? How are you balancing that, that, uh, that dynamic? Oh, that's tough sometimes. I mean, it's tough watching him play because every time a ball's hit to him, you know, like, or if he's up with bases loaded, mm-hmm. no outs, and you, you don't want to coach during the game. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. And want to learn some of these things and some of the experiences, hard, the, the, the hard knocks of that's coming, mm-hmm. you know, on his own. Yep. But as a parent, you know, you want to kind of shield and shelter them from, you know, from ha- having to go through these hard times. That's but, right. Um, uh, you know, there's a fine line, you know, between telling them, too much and trying to cram your 50 years of knowledge in baseball into his 20 years of life. You know what I mean? Sure. But, but uh, you got to also realize that he's, he's paid attention. I mean, you know, he's like a a child actor whose father, Michael Douglas or something, you know what I mean? Or or Donald Sutherland and Kiefer Sutherland. I mean, you know, they're not in awe of any, any, you know, they're not stage fright at all. You know, they've been on the set with their dad. That's it. The you know, this is what the the kids who are aspiring to be baseball players or were the sons of of players. I mean, this is this is what you see in them a lot. So 
Um, you know, again, my wife has to, you know, remind me not to be too critical, even though you're trying to help him. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. And, you know, say if a guy hits, gets three hits, but he punches out one time, you don't want to, you don't want to dwell on that one punch out. You That's know right. what I mean? You, uh, but, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen it both ways. I mean, I've seen some players from my team whose parents are hard on that helped them and some players, uh, uh, you know, whose parents didn't, didn't hardly care about them at all, appears like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they made it too. You know, I mean, I've, I've had some players whose fathers just showed up when they got to the big leagues or, or, I mean, you know, you're around people, you got to realize that, you know, baseball and coaching and whatever sport you're in is a microcosm of, of society. The same problems that are oh. next door are possibly in your house too. That's it. Oh, wow. So, Okay, last two questions. I know you got to get back to work. One is, yeah. do you still send JT Snow a Christmas card for saving Darren's life back in 02? Nah. <laughs> I see him sometimes. Darren doesn't even remember it. My, I mom, my mom was the one that had a fit. Really? It was my mom. Oh, yeah, because she told me not to have him bad boy that day because she, she had a bad feeling. Wow. And, uh, and, I like, and then afterwards, she gave me hell because I never listened to her. You know, you probably heard that from your mom. No doubt. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. Last question I got for you, Dusty. It's been awesome connecting with you and having you break some of this stuff down. And we always ask about advice for coaches. And so, again, if you're talking now with the platform to speak to youth coaches and high school coaches and college coaches and professional guys, based on your experience, man, looking back, what's some advice you would offer those folks? Send them down a better path. I'd say, you know, it's a thin line between being too hard and being not hard enough. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, um, it, it, if I had to give one piece of advice, I, I'd probably say be firm but fair. There you go. You know, that seems like a tough line to, you know, to hold sometimes. Gosh, it's awesome. Well, I know you got work to do, my friend. Thank you for cutting out some time for us and jumping back on the podcast. I just, again, we're so thankful that you got a chance to experience the convention. We hope to see you at future events, certainly staying involved with the diversity committee. And best of luck with everything you got going, man. Thanks for jumping on with us. All right, same to you. Coaches, thanks for checking out our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and another one of our Dugout Chatter episodes. Here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our job is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help you out. Head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about our coaching fraternity. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ABCA1945. If you want to reach out to me directly, do that through Twitter at CoachSheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members. We'd like to hear from some new members and continue to find ways to work together at growing the game of baseball. Huge thanks to the sponsor of our Dugout Cheddar shows, our great partners over at Rawlings. If you're looking for more information about what they're doing for baseball and this coaching fraternity, head over to their website, Rawlings.com. That's R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And thanks again, guys, for your support. As always, thanks for listening in and staying dialed into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball.